welcome to Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies, feminism, and sexuality. I'm Kristen Ryan, Chicago comic. I'll be your host tonight. And with us, we have Angie Harris, and she's the local author of OverthinkingHorrorFilms.com, a blog all about horror movies, and she's also a power lifter. That's awesome. Uh, hey, Angie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good? Cold. Yeah, it's chilly today. Yeah. So what brought you to uh, create your blog? Um, I absolutely love horror. Um, it's Woo! my favorite genre. I think the only genre that I like equally is science fiction. And I think because both of them um, come from a place of deep imagination, and it's kind of like if you could create any scenario with no limits, what would you do? And it's interesting to see what people come up with. Um, and it's also interesting how a lot of fears are kind of buried under metaphor in horror films. Mm -hmm. I think um, horror tells us a lot about ourselves. So definitely kind of like looking for those little nuggets of, you know, um, information about sort of the human condi condition. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Be sure to check out her blog. It's really, really good. Uh, Angie, what's the first horror movie you remember seeing? So I remember seeing Demons. Okay, I'm my with first. That. It's um, it's I think it's Italian, uh, but it was it was produced by Dario Argento. Damn, that's um, fancy for your first yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like this crazy movie about um, some people that get trapped in a movie theater in Berlin, and it's so meta because they're showing a movie that turns people into demons, and okay. you're watching a movie about people watching a movie oh and <laughs> getting to turned into demons. But they basically get trapped in the movie theater. Um, that sounds amazing. It's really good. I actually went to um, a big film festival last year um, and got to see it on the big screen for the first time ever because when I saw it, it was on cable um, at a slumber party. Um, but I just remember that moment because it was completely a bonding moment with the friends that I was watching it with. Mm. And so it wasn't only fun because we were jumping and screaming and, you know, scared, um, but it was also, you know, we're all enduring this together. So mm -hmm. it felt like a very bonding experience. And that was, that was all it took. That's awesome. I love that answer. Most people are like, I don't know, I stumbled in on my teenage sibling watching something dirty. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I'm also really excited that you are a lover of horror because a lot of people I have on are like, oh, I just came because they're like, you, I hate horror movies. <laughs> it's funny. It is. Uh, is there anything about horror as a genre that you wanted to add? I know you already said you love it. And I just think it's like people, you know, kind of, it gets a bad rap, but I actually think it's one of the smartest genres out there when it's done well. Mm -hmm. Um it can be really, really smart. It can be really informative. Um, and it's fun. I agree. And when I first started doing this podcast, I would read reviews to try and like prep for talking about the movie. And critics hate horror. They're they so really mean to horror. I, just, yeah. I stopped reading reviews because it's like, you're just going to hate all of them. Yeah, I, want, I kind of wonder, you know, in the 70s, I feel like we hit peak, like, serious, quote-unquote, horror films. Like, horror films winning, you know, Academy Awards or mm -hmm. being taken seriously and um, sort of like 
A-list actors taking on horror film roles. And I, I just kind of wonder what happened between now and then that has kind of turned horror films into something that, that critics like to joke about or don't take as seriously. I think it was slashers, you know? wasn't it? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. It might have been. Not the... that we don't love those two. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so tonight... For us to talk about uh, Angie Cho's Martyrs, which is a French film, and that's about 10-year-old Lucy is held prisoner in a warehouse and tortured by a family. She then escapes and is taken in by an orphanage where she befriends another girl named Anna. Years later, the two women track down Lucy's tormentors, but their quest for vengeance quickly turns terrifying. Lucy murders everyone in the family. But then it turns out this is not just one couple abusing a young girl. This is a secret society of people systematically torturing people in hopes of finding a martyr to tell them what the afterlife is like. Anna then takes Lucy's place as the torture victim and eventually becomes that martyr. And I have to say, after watching this movie, <laughs> man, I needed a minute <laughs> or two. It was brutal. Um, but it was really good, and I think it's going to give us a lot of interesting things to talk about. Uh, but, Angie, why did you choose this movie? Why did you make me watch this? <laughs> Do you hate me now? <laughs> I am intrigued. I'm scared um, of you. You know, no. I think given the topic of your podcast, it's like the ideal movie to discuss. Um, I think there's a lot in there um, that can be talked about around women and oppression. Um, and I also... I can't really quite say it's like my favorite horror film because I can't mm -hmm. really frame it in a way that's like, I love watching this movie. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I do think it's one of like the best horror films I've ever seen. I think it's just so well done. It's so smart. Um, so I thought it'd be a good one for mm -hmm. us to talk about. Yeah, definitely is. I have to say like French horror, I haven't seen a lot of it, but what I've seen is like on par with like, Japan, you know, like, just make you go, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> so brutal. Have you seen Inside? I have. Oh, yep. wow. Okay, so that yep. was, like, so brutal as well. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's a home invasion film involving a pregnant woman, and just, I don't want to say any more about it. It's just <laughs> disturbing as fuck. But <laughs> is that, have you seen a lot of French horror? I have. I actually, um, I find it to be, like, a really interesting um, crop of films. It's just like they, it was maybe a decade worth of movies. They're all extremely violent. Um, but I think a lot of them are kind of some of them are less subtle about how politically charged they are but I think most of them are kind of a kick in the pants to like you know the ideal France mm -hmm. um, which you know France has been very good about kind of um upholding this identity of, you know, kind of perfection. I mean, when I think of France, oh, I yeah. think of Paris, and I think beautiful of sophistication. Yeah, beautiful people <laughs> eating baguettes, and, you know, um, everything's just kind of perfect and tidy, and actually, you know, if you have, like, even a slight understanding of um, France's history, you know, they actually have a horribly, like, brutal history in terms of slavery and oppression, and um, and even now, they're seeing a lot of, um, you know, kind of pushback um, against um, minority communities um, in terms of riots and mm -hmm. uh, 
Um, so I think a lot of those films are um, just kind of a middle finger to this whole like identity that France has built for itself as being kind of the model perfect country. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, there's a lot of upheaval and xenophobia regarding uh, immigration mm -hmm. in France um, that I've noticed that really does detract from that image of like the beautiful intellectual model right. citizen. I mean, I guess the same could be said about America, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't um, want to think we're ragging too hard on France. No, no, it's not just France, you know, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of these films are kind of a reaction to that. I mean, think about the difference between, like, Amelie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, something like Martyrs or something like Inside, you know, just, mm -hmm. you know, just two completely different takes, mm -hmm. on, takes on modern French identity. And you know what's interesting is this this film is incredibly violent, but I had a very different reaction to it than most violent films. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the torture porn that comes on, I will just look at my phone and disengage with it mm -hmm. and not watch it. Um, but then come back to the movie when it's over. And this film, I I actually wept during the the scenes where you know Anna is really really brutalized and abused and that was very different for me um, I don't know what your experience with the like the over gratuitous violence in this yeah I think um, it was the same for me it's such a difficult film to watch and a difficult film to process I remember the first time I saw it I couldn't even really deal with what I had seen in any, I couldn't make sense of it. It was kind of like this numbness that I, I couldn't really think about the film. And I remember I met up with a good friend of mine who's also a huge horror fan like a week later and it just all flooded out, like all of these thoughts about what I had watched. Um, and she had, you know, also seen it. Um, but I think that the, the brutality comes from a different space than torture porn. I think mm -hmm. torture porn is meant to titillate and there's nothing um, titillating about what Anna undergoes, you know, what happens to her. There's nothing um, attractive about it. Um, and so I think it's just two different styles of approaching. Um, that's a, that's a good point because Anna's abuser, we never see their faces really when they're doing, um, you know, hitting heaven mm -hmm. and things like that. So you don't know if the attacker is taking joy in it. And it doesn't seem like they are. It feels like no, work. It them. is systematic. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely like a system and a process. Um, I also think that because you bond with Anna, because the first half of the film, um, you see how sweet she is and how yeah. much she cares for people. Um, it's very hard to enjoy the second half of the movie where she's experiencing these Experiencing this torture, whereas you know something with like Costal, for example, mm -hmm. um, you know there's a little bit of glee that you get, mm -hmm. a little twinge of yeah, the glee that, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> watching them, you know, get their come up, and so I think it's a just a different you know experience. Yeah, from the beginning, Anna's character was like that giving martyr feel to it. You mm -hmm. know, like even in the orphanage, she was there for Lucy. And, you know, she really went out of her way to help everyone she encountered. Um, and it actually, 
I feel like that led to part of her downfall mm-hmm. because so the scene after Lucy murders her attackers and um, you know you think oh it's over you mm-hmm. know but then there's this secret layer underground and this is where you start to realize that this isn't just about one family abusing Lucy and Anna stays there walks around checks it out you know just is staying there get the fuck out Anna ah and you know she comes across the other woman who is seriously brutalized and has the uh, the metal wrapped around oh her my body. god that woman oh. to me is the scariest Ugh. thing I mean I don't want to say a thing but that's yeah. what she's been reduced to just like yeah she is probably like the scariest movie monster quote unquote mm-hmm. that I have ever seen she mm-hmm. terrifies me yeah she was ugh. it was uh, it hurt my stomach because it was so sad mm-hmm. and also so frightening to think that you know I know it's a, just a film but I mean you know that a human being could think of doing this to another human being mm-hmm. um, I have to admit okay so let me get get my shit on straight here um, this movie when you said numb yes this movie was very hard for me to process, and after watching it, I had to like drag myself to write the outline. Meet Anna and Lucy when they're very young, and then we have a jump cut to this family. Mm-hmm. And for me watching it the first time, I was just like, who the hell are these people? It's like a normal family breakfast, yeah. a mom and a dad. And then we see Lucy, and she just comes in with her shotgun and takes everybody out. And it was such a jarring, abrupt scene. It felt like we were watching two different movies. And I didn't understand who these characters were until, you know, obviously Lucy showed up with the gun. <sighs> but even then, it felt like... It, it just felt like two different movies to me. And almost even a third movie then, when the larger plot is revealed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it felt like it was taking me... All over the place. It was really challenging me as a viewer. I felt like it was not spoon-fed like most movies are. Yeah, you're kind of like, what's going on? Like, why are we suddenly with this family? I don't understand. We just watched a little girl, like, running out of a factory, Mm -hmm. you know, screaming. Um, It is kind of weird, but I think, um, you know, part of why this movie works for me is, is those shocking moments. Like, mm-hmm. those moments where you're, like, this is a normal family. They're talking about, like, swim lessons. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, um, the son doesn't, you know, dropped out of school and wants to go to a different school. And mom found a mouse in the pipe in the, mm-hmm. in the garden. Yeah. You know? Just very normal family chat. Um, yeah, and then Lucy comes in with her shotgun and, and blows everybody away. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that was really, like, creepy for me was when she kind of asked the older son, like, do you know what your parents do? Mm -hmm. And he kind of gave this, like, half-committal shrug, like, he kind of did, but kind of didn't. Oh, I missed that. It's just really creepy because you, um, you're like, what? You know, Mm -hmm. Lucy initially at that point in the movie, to me, seems, like, completely unhinged. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I have to admit, at this point in the movie, I still trusted Lucy. You did. I pardon me. was like, yeah, I'm going to fucking pay. Uh, <laughs> I love vengeance. <laughs> <so> just, <laughs> I'm a big fan. 
But yeah, I mean, honestly, this is a recording, so I do want to say it's bad to kill children. Yes. Yeah, that's brutal, <laughs> right? Yeah, it was. goes for the little girl. Oh, yeah. Holy smokes. Like, you're just kind of like, okay, that just happened. I mean. Well, also, too, she found it was them through a newspaper article and like, right. wasn't really certain. You know, 10 years is a long time. Or, you know, 15 years is a yeah, long time. Yeah, 15 years. To recognize someone from one photo, you know. Yeah, and you know where she was being held was dark. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons um, the director gives you to not trust her initially. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, and plus, just your familiarity. I think most people watching this film come from a similar place. They come from, you know, an average family. A lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the ones at least seeing this movie either come from a place like that or they know people like that and so the immediate gut reaction for me was oh, it couldn't be these people she must have the wrong people you know mm-hmm. this is not who's done this to her she's just lost her mind mm-hmm. <laughs> and what did you think of the portrayal of the other woman that we were led to believe was also a captive but was actually uh, a figment of Lucy's imagination. Yeah, there's that scene where um, Lucy has uh, the flashback to when it's that same woman that Mm -hmm. she tried to rescue and left behind. So it's basically like um, kind of the embodiment of guilt, you know, Mm -hmm. that she had to leave this other woman behind who's being tortured in order to save herself. I feel like that's so real. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. you know, that level of guilt, um, especially at such a young age when she was going through that and the things that she went through on top of it, um, I just thought that was such a great way to illustrate that feeling, you know, that it it feels like a monster, you know, this Mm -hmm. burden um, literally tortures you. Yeah, I have to admit, in that moment, for me meeting this character and not knowing she was not real validated Lucy in killing these people. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh my God, this other woman was trapped in the house. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so then when she turned out to not be real, I was like, oh, maybe. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, things just went south. Yeah. But also, how did she cut her back like that? So no. yeah, that was one of the things that I was like, mm, that's a little like far-fetched. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was just kind of like you you were supposed to just kind of let that go. Because, okay. um, you know, she was doing all of the cutting herself mm-hmm. um, and, you know, banging her head against the wall. And so, you know, it must have been, like, really crazy for Anna to walk into that scene. And you kind of get why she's like, this is crazy. It couldn't have been them. Mm-hmm. Because her friend's behavior for the past, you know, 15 years, you know, she's seen this woman cutting herself and claiming that oh, someone else did it to her. Um, yeah, that'd be hard to... Uh, yeah, it'd be really hard to yeah. believe her. I thought they were partners. Do you think they're friends or do you think they were lovers? I don't know. Because mm-hmm. there is that one moment where... Is it Anna kisses Lucy in the bathroom as the bodies are being... Piled into the shower. It's a very romantic moment. Very romantic <laughs> moment. <laughs> the bathroom is littered with bodies. Um, but yeah, 
there there is this kind of weird um allusion to them being in a relationship. Also um, I thought when Anna talked to her mom. Yeah, yeah. And her mom was like, you're still with her, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's a total, like, mom yeah. doesn't like my partner talk. Yep. <laughs> yep. But, yeah, maybe also, though, like, I'm used to just being American, and we're so, like, we barely even hug. So, like, maybe it's like, they kiss, they're dating. They're dating. <laughs> they're lovers. <laughs> it was just, yeah, I mean, I noticed that, too, but I thought it was kind of strange that he didn't, you know, the director doesn't really make any other reference to it mm-hmm. um, that's true and it's also like a weird moment to kiss her don't you think so weird <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, what is that about yeah <laughs> so yeah i'm not i'm not love sure. you <laughs> <laughs> you just mass murdered family god i love you we're gonna get through this <laughs> you know we're gonna be talking about this at our 50th anniversary <laughs> the bad times you know oh man yeah so you know once Anna discovers this other woman and like the underground chamber that is so elaborate like this isn't just like some serial killer dirty hole yeah no it's beautiful it's clean it's stainless steel and clinical Mm -hmm. it's like going to your doctor's office it's nicer than my house yeah Yeah, you're right. It is very clinical. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you encounter these beautiful, like, beautifully framed and lighted horrific photos as you walk in, which we will later learn that those are people who um, are praised as being, like, the real deal as far as martyrs are concerned. Um, so Anna takes this woman, starts to rehabilitate her, and then just, she has a meltdown. And you're not sure what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, these other people show up, and it's like movie part four is starting, and they just <laughs> nail her in the head, and she's dead. Like, she wasn't even a person, you yeah. know? And, uh, yeah, and then we're revealed the larger plot, and I think this is where your understanding of the film really shined a lot of light on it for me and the discussion we had before starting about this being a metaphor. I'd love for you to discuss that more. Yeah, I think um, what's interesting about the film is that, you know, the the family that we see is, like, this very um, kind of common nuclear family. Like, you know, you couldn't get closer to, like, mom and dad and 2.5 kids if you tried. You oh, know, yeah. Just kind of, like, the, the nuclear family. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting that um, Logier, the director, selected two women of color as the leads. Um, Lucy, um, the, the actress who plays Lucy, I'm not going to try to say their names because I will butcher them. I always say, this is just a podcast about ideas because I do not remember movie facts at all. <laughs> but the, uh, the woman who plays Lucy, her father um, is Chinese, and um, the actress who plays Anna is Moroccan. Um, and so you have this kind of, um, you know, contrast between the two groups. Um, and I really think that the film is really about systematic oppression. Um, and it's kind of referring specifically to France, but I think this can be extended to, to wider Western sort of, um, oppression of minority groups. Um, one thing that I think is really interesting is 
when we first see Lucy running from the factory, she's running in like a tank top and mm-hmm. underwear, and her arms are kind of um, her arms are kind of out to the side, mm-hmm. and that that visual is actually a reference. It's it's almost like an exact copy of the picture of the girl in Vietnam running from the napalm attack. Um, mm-hmm. And if you put the two side by side, which I did on my blog, they're almost identical. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, you know, knowing France's history in that part of the world, like it can't be a mistake. Like I think the director knows exactly what he's doing by using, you know, such powerful imagery. I think it's brilliant, you know, because you look at that and you kind of, even, even before the actual plot of the movie starts, you kind of understand something about what he's trying to say. So I just think that the film is really about systems of oppression, and I think the fact that he uses this very normal family is kind of like saying, you know, we're all in this. You know, Mm -hmm. we're all parts of this system of oppression. It's very easy to point your fingers at someone else and say, you know, like, conservative Christians did it, Mm -hmm. or, you know, Satanists did it. I mean, whatever group. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very easy to point the finger, but the fact of the matter is that um, by pointing the finger and walking away from the situation and being delusional about your own role in oppression um, serves no one. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you just can't you can't walk away from it. We're all part of it. And that, to me, is, like, horrifying. I mean, if you want to talk about real horror and real terror, that, for me, is, like, God, he's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I know it's so interesting because for me, I wanted this family, or not the family, but the mom and dad to be like, you know, crazy Satanists and like, that's why they're doing this. But like, no, nah, it's a whole society. Yeah. And we don't really know that much about them, which no. is, which, you know, makes it even easier to implicate anyone and everyone in it. The only thing that we really know, um, is that they're wealthy because mm-hmm. at the end he shows them pulling up in their like Mercedes Benzes mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and they're overwhelmingly white mm-hmm. and I think they're actually all white and they skew older. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of just saw them as like representative of the privileged class. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, by choosing two female leads who look nothing like that, it really sets up this kind of tension between the privileged class and the immigrant class or, you know, the sort of, like, non-white majority mm-hmm. French citizen. Um, so I just think it's, it's a really, really smart thing to do in this film. Yeah, and this film was 2008, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's so current, even more so right now. Yeah. Like, with everything happening um, in this country specifically, um, I... Yeah, I just feel like it could have been made this year. Like it was so good. It totally could because you see, um, you see it happening obviously in our own um, election process. You know, there are people who say, who who really like to point the finger at Trump supporters. And by the way, I'm like no fan of like Trump supporters necessarily. (laughs) But you know, we you know we like to point. You know, Mm -hmm. people who are more liberal like to point the finger at other groups and say, "You guys are the problem." When in reality, you know, it's people like you and I and and them that mm-hmm. create monsters. This guy didn't appear out of a cloud. Oh, yeah. You know, um, so by not f- 
fighting oppression, it's like we allow it to thrive and we um, give it vitality and longevity. Mm-hmm. So for all of you out there who are saying if Trump gets elected, you're moving to Canada. Canada doesn't want you anyway. You know, like, <laughs> come on, we got to like step up, you know. I agree. Um, you know, I, I, in my day job, I'm a union organizer mm-hmm. like, for a long time. And when I first started, they would be like, well, Kristen, you're white. Why don't you go talk to the white people <laughs> in rural areas, you know? And yeah. I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's not easy, but it's important to have these conversations and be allies. And the thing is, is that some of the concerns that you see in different parties or different groups are actually coming from some of the same places. And I think if we mm-hmm. could recognize that more, Rather than pointing fingers, um, then you know these systems of oppression that you know impact all of us could be dismantled in a much more positive way. Um, so I agree yeah. with that hundred percent. Organize. <laughs> it's so true, though, and like all the poor whites that are so pro-Trump, it's because they've got nothing else, you know. Right. Yeah. And I think Trump kind of points to that last, uh, uh, you know, maintaining white privilege, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, and that's, like, for some people, the, the, like, poor whites, it's really all they that's have. That's what they have, yeah. So they cling to that out of fear. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and it's easy. I mean, like, you know, that's why Hitler rose so quickly is if you give someone a scapegoat, they have something to put their fault in and believe about. Yeah. You know? Yeah, depressing. Depressing. (laughs) Yeah, and even um, in thinking about Anna, just going back to her for a moment, one of the things that I find, like, so dark and so depressing about this film is it's actually her love and her care for others that gets her in trouble. So it's kind of, you know, while while I'm saying, you you know, organize and we're talking about, like, you know, unity from both sides of of the podium, um... You know, it seems like Logier in some way is saying you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. That's a good point. You know, sticking around to care got Anna more than killed. Yeah. So, you know, this film is like super nihilistic. If you're in a bad spot, you should not watch this one. Um, because, you know, it, it's pretty it's pretty dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think, though, you know, so we talked a little bit about how Anna stayed. I think one of the themes in this film, maybe it's inadvertent, but I did think one of the themes was you should just trust your partner. (laughs) (laughs) If they were partners, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, if if Anna had believed Lucy that these people were bad, they could have just killed him, thrown him in a hole, and escaped together. That's true. I don't know if I could have trusted Lucy though. That's the true. State that she was in, I wouldn't. She did just murder four people. It's so <laughs> difficult. You know, you spend fifteen years with someone who's clearly like mentally unstable, um, and then you see them go and you know just in cold blood murder a whole a whole family. Um, I don't know. It's kind of like. You know, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. Like, I feel like that, <laughs> yeah. that sums up Lucy to a T. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just, I, I don't, I would have had trouble 
leaving here as well. I mean, I think you're right, but <laughs> I don't know how I would have handled that situation yeah. any better than Anna. Very true. In real life, I don't know if I would have been so quick to jump on board. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna work this out, baby. So after it's re okay, so after Anna is skinned and put under a goddamn heat lamp like a little chicken nugget. Uh, <laughs> She gets the perfect look in her eyes that these people have been looking for, which that to me blew me away, like that they have this whole secret society devoted to torturing people and ruining lives, but what they're really looking for is just that like perfect glint in the eye, you know, like when it hits just right. It was like, these people are crazy. <sighs> okay, so poor Anna. She's obviously passed to the other side or is just like so in shock that she becomes what they think is a martyr and she whispers something to mademoiselle so then they call all the old people that are going to come and observe and hear what was to be said and you know hopefully celebrate or whatever and mademoiselle shoots herself in the head instead of telling the followers what was said and uh oh what does she say to the guy she um she says, keep doubting. Yeah, keep doubting before she shoots herself in the face. I think she asks him right before she says that, do you, do you believe that there's an afterlife or something, something along those lines? Yeah. Um, and her assistant, Etienne, says something like, well, of course, madam. Um, and she says, keep doubting, and then blows a hole through her head. Yeah. Oof. Yep. Also, I wonder how she got to be the head of this organization. Yeah. She rose up through the ranks. <laughs> we need, like, a biography of <laughs> Madam. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you think she said? Anna said to me. I, you know, I don't know. Um, I think when I first saw the movie, I thought about that a lot. Like, what, what would she have said that would have caused that reaction um and I think actually like now I worry about it less because I think you still worry about it <laughs> I, I well I don't I well I do when I start thinking about the film but but now that answer isn't so important to me and the reason why is because I think it's really important that we don't get the answer so we go through all of this stuff with Anna we watch her get tortured Mm -hmm. For what, like a solid 20 minutes or something? It's a, it's a yeah. long time. And we don't hear what she says to Madame. And for this weird moment, I think it's like absolutely brilliant that, that Logier does this. For this weird moment, our interests align with the interests of her abusers. Ooh. We identify with them because we oh. want the answer too. Like we feel like we deserve it. There's something so perverse about that but like so smart because we don't get that cathartic release he basically gives us the finger and says there's no payoff in someone else's suffering oh. you're gonna sit with that i was angry yeah <laughs> oh, no, it's part of the problem you know what i mean like he really he really just kind of jabs you mm -hmm. it's like a punch to the gut um and so in order to get that answer, we also have to reduce Anna to nothing. We have to commodify her. We have to make her value only in giving us an answer. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that that 
was a really important point that he was trying to drive home by not letting us hear, mm-hmm. you know, what Anna told Madam. Um, genius. It was. Genius. Whew. Yeah. That's way more in-depth than what I thought. Uh, <laughs> my thought was just that um, he, or Anna, told her there's nothing. It's just void when you die. Mm-hmm. And then so, like, to keep this society running and for the metaphor also of systematic oppression to keep that going just don't tell anyone anything and just off yourself yeah i mean it's obvious that whatever anna said it's the idea of what she said is dangerous it's something mm-hmm. that that madam can't say or won't say or it's something that threatens the stability of the group mm-hmm. for sure i totally agree with you on that i really think that um you know, the ultimate goal of anyone in a privileged position um, is to keep that position. Um, oh, for sure. So I think that by um, Madam killing herself, yeah, I think that it allows the status quo to remain intact. Um, these people, because the question is still out there of what happens after you die, they can justify the oppression of others. They can justify the systematic culture of women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah I have to say you brought so much important insight to this film that for me I was just so shaken by the trauma of it that I missed and you brought a lot of important points in specifically in regards to the skinning I was kind of like just what the hell why are they just seems why are they doing this now and uh, your point on that was so brilliant. Um, so the skinning, the removal of her literal physical identity is sort of the only way that she, um, and by, by giving an answer, it's the only way that she provides value to the group. They literally remove her physical identity. So um, in talking about um, the minority experience in France, you know, and these ideas of assimilation, you know, talking about like, for example, France's burqa ban, you mm-hmm. know, these um, sort of ways to, to make um, immigrants assimilate into French culture. Skinning Anna, to me, represented a removal of her identity. She's finally assimilated into something that this privileged society um, can accept. Yeah, which is such a powerful way to perfectly portray how people can lose themselves in assimilation because, you know, in American culture, I think we have a tendency to think like, come on over and play baseball and eat apple pie, it'll be great. (laughs) And, you know, in that we forget that, I mean, I say we, but I don't believe this, obviously, but, you know, we believe that the other is scary, so be one of us. You know, when we could just get to know the other and then be okay and live together. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I think that flip really showed viewers, if they're open to it, you know, how dangerous that can be. Mm -hmm. And terrifying. Yeah, it's it's a really scary moment. Um, Yeah, she's completely stripped of any sense of otherness. Mm -hmm. You know, there is nothing left. Mm Mm-hmm. Of who she was. And, you know, originally when I was watching this film, I thought it was about religious oppression. But then you pointed out, like, no, it's pretty vague. 
them. Yeah, they never actually say that they're religious. I think when Madam is, is explaining to Anna the whole idea of the martyr, she says something like, religious groups over in history have blah, blah, blah. But they never self-identify as religious, which to me is actually more terrifying because it could implicate anyone and everyone as being a member of this group. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so vague that it actually, actually makes it scarier. And again, we can't point a finger to anyone, and I think that's part of what Logier is trying to do. Is Definitely. Yeah, and that actually brings us back to the family when we first met them and really uh, kicks in again that idea that this is a metaphor for systematic oppression in the world around us, and it's just, it's like air, you know? It's not something you can see or point out because it's so aligned with our culture. Yeah, and it's so vague. It's everywhere. I feel really good about talking with this film, talking about this film with you now, because I feel like you're putting it into concepts I can understand, whereas upon watching it, I was just, it just felt bad, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough movie to get through. I don't I don't want to um, necessarily encourage um, all of your listeners to see it. I think it takes a certain, I don't know, commitment mm -hmm. <laughs> to it. Um, it's not a movie that I recommend to all horror fans, I guess is what I would say, because it really is um, pretty terrible. Yeah, but with the metaphor that you're bringing up, throughout the film about privilege and oppression and uh, power, it makes sense. And I have to say, I want to watch it again now because I think I would appreciate it more. Yeah, yeah. You made me want to watch it again. Oh, that's how big your talk is. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Anyway, Kristen's been watching this film every day for like a week. We're worried about her. What did you do to her, Angie? <laughs> Well, at least maybe you don't hate me now. So. Oh, no. <laughs> Not kidding. at all. You're lovely. Um, so I'm wondering, are there any, like, throughout the film, I know we talked about a lot of them already, but are there any moments that we didn't cover that really stand out to you? Yes. Um, one of them is when, every single time I've watched this movie, there's an audible, like, oh, like, out of me when this happens. Mm -hmm. When she willingly, for the first time, eats the food that oh, they've been force-feeding her. Oh, it's just like... It's like her breaking. It's her breaking. Um, the first break is when she urinates into the bucket, but that one doesn't bother me as much as the food. For some reason, her taking the food like a baby, mm -hmm. you know, just being fed, um, there's something just so awful about that moment for me. Yeah. Every single time. Um... And there's another moment where one of her abusers comes in and kind of, like, lovingly caresses her cheek. And it's the first kind of love that we've seen mm -hmm. from her abusers. I know that sounds really, like, weird and twisted, and it is. But um, there's this moment where it, everything up until this point has been so clinical and so cold and so systematic. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, getting, like an exam at the doctor, basically. It's just mm -hmm. they're, you know, they know exactly what they're doing and they have different stages. But towards the end, there's a woman that comes in and kind of caresses Anna's cheek and she says, there's just one more more stage left, dear. Mm -hmm. You know, you're doing great. And kind of gives her, like, kind of a motherly mm -hmm. motherly attention for a moment. And there, that just makes my stomach 
And you know, if we're keeping with the metaphor of systematic oppression, that within itself is a really good metaphor for, you know, oppressed people who buy into the power dynamic of, uh, you know, the status quo. Yeah. If you buy in, you'll be treated a little bit better than the people who don't. Right. And that's that little, like touch on the cheek. I mean, you're still trapped in a chair where you shit yourself, but like, they'll be a little nicer about it. Yeah. Yeah, And then it's like, right after that is when they flay her. So it's like, you know, it doesn't get you anywhere. It's not good. You know? Um, so that, that moment for me is, is pretty terrible. Um, and then I'm just like always freaked out every single time by the, the lady with the sensory deprivation, like metal mask and mm. the iron underwear. Mm. Well, plus, as she was not a strong woman. She was probably petite when they got her. Mm-hmm. So why the hell they felt the need to staple this metal blindfold to her head oh, just God. seems excessive. Yeah. And it was because they said that she saw cockroaches, right? Yeah, she saw she would see cockroaches running all over her her body. Um, but there's something so both pathetic and horrifying about her. It's, mm-hmm. It brings up this weird mix of emotions for me because it's, you know, you feel badly for her, but you're also so terrified of her mm-hmm. and what she's become. Because um, she, she looked very similar to Lucy's imaginary. Yeah. yeah. She didn't know if she was going to hurt Anna. Right. Yeah, and it's kind of like, how do you help someone like that, you know, which is something that, that Anna tries to do, and you admire her for for not being afraid and for immediately, I mean, like, without hesitation, showing compassion mm-hmm. for this woman. But, that is true. you know, she is scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about those staples. Yeah, pulling out the staples, and then when she pulls off the helmet, and there's all the goo, and oh, then the woman tries to slit her own wrists. Oh, yeah. Later, and oh, yeah, she's just, she's a really horrifying character. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You big flashbacks. Tell me about your powerlifting real quick. Let's get on that. Let's talk about being strong women. Yeah. I started powerlifting last year, um, and I started competing this year. Um, So I had my first meet in July. I have my second meet in a couple of weeks. Um, And I love powerlifting because it's, I mean, you, most women don't realize how much strength they have. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and and, well, we're always taught, like, don't weight lift, you'll get bulky. You'll get bulky, which is, like, bullshit, mm-hmm. you know, um, unless you're, like, got a lot of testosterone, you're not going to get bulky. Um, you will get strong, and you will also see yourself in a completely different way. Hmm. I guarantee How it. so? Explain that. Um, you realize your own inner strength. Um, you realize... Um, just physically you feel it, you know, the way you carry yourself will be different. Um, you will learn to love what your body can do rather than what it looks like. There's all sorts of, Hmm. you know, mental changes that I feel like I've undergone since starting. 
Um, and I love it. And the powerlifting community is amazing. Um, you'll meet a lot of amazing women and men lifting. Um, there's a lot of camaraderie. It's a lot of fun. And everyone supports one another. So it's a really cool, you know, community to be part of as well. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's fun. I'm much happier. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like part of me is like, that's why I love horror movies, though, is mm -hmm. that it is a sense of strength almost and control to watch these things, endure them, and process them, and then walk away. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I definitely get like a release out of, yeah. you know, kind of an emotional release. And I find that um, I noticed last year during the winter is when I really watch a lot of horror films. And I think part of it is kind of um, you're, you're getting less maybe of an adrenaline rush in oh, the winter because it's sense. dark mm -hmm. so much and you're not outside doing stuff. You're mostly inside. And so it gives you that little, like, I don't know, like pickup. If you can't go to the beach, watch some murder. Watch, watch a horror film. <laughs> get your heart racing. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> so yeah, it's like the perfect, I don't know, perfect time of year to, to kind of hunker down in. I have to ask, as another fellow horror lover, mm -hmm. October, when everyone goes crazy for horror movies, how do you feel about that in your gut? Um, I'm, I guess I'm of the school of like, the more the merrier. Yeah. Um, I love talking about horror films, thinking about horror films. I love suggesting horror films to people. Mm -hmm. and do you get that a lot? A lot of people ask. I do get mm -hmm. that a lot. Um, on my blog, um, one of the first posts that I did was um, a post about um, horror films for newbies mm. because I have a lot of people who are interested in horror, but they don't think they can handle it or they don't like a certain brand of horror. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't like torture porn, mm -hmm. which I don't like either. Um you know, there's certain things that they don't want to see, that they don't want to experience, and I totally get that. So I picked um, a few movies that people who kind of want to, like, dip their toes into horror could mm -hmm. watch. Um, and I think, you know, it serves horror fans in a great way to bring more people on board, because then maybe, like, more money will be funded to make better horror films. Oh, and, that's true. You know, yeah. if the audience, if we can grow the audience, um, I think it's just better for all of us in the long run. Mm -hmm. You're right. I'm just a hipster prick, I guess. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, it's October, so you all like horror Everybody movies Everybody suddenly now. likes horror films. <laughs> I need to just be more open-hearted. <laughs> but there's so, there's like such a wide, like wide array of horror films that, mm -hmm. you know, people can enjoy. You don't have to love slashers. You don't have to love hyper-violent films. You know, you can... Um, like, I have a friend who doesn't like horror, but loves the film Carrie, you mm. know, mm -hmm. um, which I actually find, like, super terrifying, but oh, yeah. for whatever reason, like, school was awful. yeah, it's so scary, it's so scary <laughs> to me, but she's just like, I love that movie, and I think if you can find the right film or the right um, subgenre in horror that you can identify with, then you can find, I think everyone can enjoy horror. Mm -hmm. I think you just have to find the right thing. You have to find your groove with it. I definitely agree with that. And I know you wanted to discuss Martyrs because it's so involved and there's so many different things to talk about. Mm -hmm. What would you say that is your favorite just pure enjoyment watching horror movies? Ooh, I have too many. I get it, yeah. <laughs> so I love The Descent. Mm. 
Oh, that the, is, the climbing one, right? Yeah, oh, that, that is, man, I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Session 9, which is like a asylum film that's, um, the timeline's kind of jumbled, so at first you're like, I don't understand what's going on, and you get to the end, and it like hits you like a ton of bricks, what's been yeah. happening, it's amazing. Um, I love Suspiria, um, love Alien. Mm. I don't know. I, you know, I have a lot of horror films that I have deep love for. I think for me, sort of the best time was from like 1972 to like 1986. Mm. Like that period, I just, I love what was happening then. Mm-hmm. Um, in America or throughout the world? In America mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, just really good horror coming out at that time, you know? Yeah. And you it's interesting how much horror, like, has ties to social movements as well. Yeah. Like, the better horror comes out along that time. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, that's, like, my favorite period. I think horror was on point then. Like, you had The Exorcist, you had The Omen, you had Don't I Look Now, you had, I mean, you just had so much good stuff coming out. Hoping we hit like another golden age mm-hmm. of horror soon. Yeah, I think we will. I think you know we are coming out of the torture porn and going on to other things. I think there was a little uh, lean towards humor in horror for a bit. Yeah, and I enjoy that. Yeah, um, I like that. But I do think we're gonna come onto something new soon. Yeah, I feel like we're starting to see a shift back towards quote unquote serious horror. You know, you had. The Babadook, you had The Witch, you had, um, what's another one that I was thinking of that was, that tended to be like a little more cerebral, a little more thoughtful, not just, you know, I don't want to downplay slashers because they they have their place, but, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, these films that really have, um, that you can really kind of pick apart. I mean, like, obviously I love, um, things that you can really delve into and, and get something out of instead of just plot-driven horror. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. I think we're starting to kind of make a shift back in that direction, mm-hmm. which I welcome with open arms. I love it. Me too. I love, to just films that don't really show you the villain, you know, yeah. which is why this movie was so scary, I think. yeah. Because you didn't get the full on, like, there were no plans laid out for us about this group. <laughs> we just yeah, we to... knew nothing. Yeah. And, and that's just scariest because you don't know how to defend yourself. Right. And the fact that, like, initially the face of them looks like it could be you or me or friends of ours or people we grew up with or, you know, this sort of very normal mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. That is scary. It Your is. next door neighbor is... A complete sociopath. Yeah. You know? And that kind of flashes back to, like, the importance of Psycho and how it was such a, at that time, Norman Bates being the killer was such a huge twist. Yeah. Like, he's the nice guy. What? Yeah. Always be on guard for the night (laughs) Uh, So I know I've kept you here a long time because I love talking to you. Um, Are there any final thoughts you have on Martyrs? Um, maybe not martyrs in particular, but I would love for everyone to, you know, when you're watching a horror movie to just like sit down and think about what it's trying to say.
say to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like in Martyrs, the things that Logier does, they're not mistakes. They're very intentional. Um, and just kind of carrying that over to other horror films, like the intentionality behind things, mm-hmm. like just assuming that everything is there for a reason. Um, and then seeing what you can make of it. It's fun, mm-hmm. you know. And I agree with that 100%. That's why I love horror so much. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then come and tell me, like, what's going on over on my blog. Mm-hmm. Suggest movies to me. I love getting movie suggestions from people. And... Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, do you have any projects coming on, things coming up that you want to plug? Not too much. Um, you can check out my blog at overthinkinghorrorfilms.com. Um, right now, although it's getting close to the end of the month, I do have a daily theme for everyone. Oh, of cool. a different movie to watch each day. Um, so you can check that out. Um, and obviously that'll stay up on the blog, so you can always go back and, and revisit those. Um, and, um, yeah. Awesome. It. Well, it has been awesome talking to you. Great conversation. So much good insight on this film. I just wanted to curl into the fetal position. <laughs> But you had so many good thoughts on it. I'm really glad. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Definitely. That's been Angie Harris. I've been Kristen Ryan. And this has been Bloody Mary. Have a good night. Mm